Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Very good morning to you, Reg. Yeah, good, yeah. And the, the usual little gremlin kicking in there as we start the uh, bank holiday weekend. You know yourself on the bank holiday, it's, uh, it's hard. People are a bit slower to, to, to get started. So I think the gremlin's got a, a, a hold of us. But we're all good again now. We're back, we're back on track. We've had plenty of gremlins over the years, Reg. That's for sure. Just keep the water away. Keep the water away from me in the morning. That's the most important thing. How's things? How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. I mean, uh, uh, well, on the way to Sheffield, I was in Blackpool uh, today and last night, and uh, on the way back to Sheffield, and looking forward to the cup final, looking forward to coming home next week as well. Excellent stuff, yeah. Well, I tell you what, Ken, it's unbelievable here at the minute, the weather. The weather. Oh, it's been incredible. It's another week at least, according to the forecasts of it. Um, So, for a bank holiday weekend... It's going to be good. There'll be plenty. I'll be down. I'll be down the Greystones Beach swimming later now, getting the old bones back in order after golf oh, yesterday. So played Druids Glen yesterday, Ken. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Fantastic! Yeah, uh, they've done a great job. With it. Fabulous! It really is fabulous. They've done an amazing uh, mm. job on it. Um, Completely new, change much? Yeah, yeah, completely new clubhouse and about four halls with new greens and different aspects to them. And um, for for a big hitter like you, it'll still be a challenge. The tee boxes are set well further back, so you'll be uh, you'll be, you'll find it. But I'll get you out. I'll bring you down um, when you're when you're yeah. back. Something. Look forward to that. Yeah, no, I, heard, I saw some photos of it. It looked magnificent, all right. It's stunning, but with the weather, of course, as well. You see, it just makes it even better. So why wouldn't yeah. you enjoy it? So uh, yeah, you're talking about the FA Cup there. So. Oh, yeah. A chance at glory and knocking City off their perch. What do you think? Well, you know, anything can happen in one game, I suppose. But you know, it's going to be very difficult, obviously, for United City are playing incredible football, probably the best team, you know, in Europe at the moment, without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, but I mean, if there's any incentive, it's to stop them from, you know, and of course, we've had a half decent season myself, winning the Carabao Cup, getting, you know, into the Champions League next year. And, you know, we've beaten them at Old Trafford already this season, so there's no reason why they can't do it again, but it's going to be very, very difficult. There's no doubt about that. Everything points towards a City win. Um, but you just never know in sport, Reg. Yeah. You never know. Look what happened Leinster. You know, it's happened before in the FA Cup final. Wimbledon beating Liverpool, you know, Southampton beating United, Wigan beating Man City in the final. You know, so anything can happen on a one, one game. Do you think... Um you know, all the chat's been leaning that way. But I mean, mm. at the start of the season, we discussed United and their, where they're at and coaches and players yeah. and everything else. Overall, it's been a good season. So, I mean, like it's kind of a, a shot to nothing for the United lads. Yeah, it is. I think so. You know, uh, you know they're huge underdogs. Uh, and City, the way they've been playing, you know, the way they played against Madrid, coming back and you know, tipping Arsenal for the uh, you know for the Premiership was incredible run in. Uh, even though Arsenal helped them a lot, there's no doubt about that. But yeah, I mean they, they they have to be happy. You know, getting back into the Champions League, you know, winning the cup already in the final of the FA Cup, a great chance of glory again. I suppose the worst thing they can think about is trying to knock City off the pitch. Perch, they've got to think about winning. Winning, it's a huge uh, tournament. It's a great opportunity for them. And some of those players have played really, really well. I mean, Casemiro has been outstanding this season. Even Fernandez has played really well. Rashford has had a great season. And, uh, you know, even some of the backs that you wouldn't have expected. Lou Shaw has had a really good season. Varane has come back in. Uh, De Gea has been up and down. But, uh, yeah, they, you know, 
they could have a really good chance, I think, you know. Mm, absolutely. That's my optimism. So. Well, no, I, 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 I kind of, like like you, you I'm thinking it's a final, uh, anything can happen. All the pressure's on yeah. City, there's no pressure on United. No one expects yeah. United to get the job done. They think City are going to walk it. There's a lot of pressure on Haaland. There's a lot of pressure on, um, you know, the, the, the idea of the treble, all, all that kind of stuff. You know, there's there's yeah. a lot of other talk going on in the background. So, you never know. This this would be probably bottom of the list for City, if you know what I mean, in terms of their yeah, focus. Of um, so it's a great chance for, for United to, to do that. Um, and yeah. overall, Tan Hag, I mean, I think he just seems to have turned things around absolutely in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I think when, uh, you know, it went a bit sour with Ronaldo, which was quite sad in a way, you know, mm. one of the greatest players ever to play and just the way it was sort of worked out. It could have been so much better for him. Uh, but I thought he was very, very strong and I thought all the players saw that. And he got a great reaction from them since then because they were sort of, you know, weren't playing great at the moment. There was a lot of discontent in the dressing room. But when Ronaldo went, uh, everything seemed to solidify. And they, they started to play really well, went on a really good run. And I think he's done a great job. Then, like, yeah. You know, he came in, he lost the first couple of games. He lost to Brighton at home. Mm. And then he lost Fordale to uh, Brentford away. And we thought, oh my God, here here we go again. Mm. But then they beat Liverpool at home and then they went on uh, went on a really good run. I think he's been very, very strong. He's demanded a lot from the players. You can see the way they play. Uh, it's so much more different to the way it was with Solskjaer. So much more solid, particularly in defence. And uh, I think he's done a really good job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, we'll see. Time will tell. It should it be interesting. It just depends. Yeah, and it just depends how, how you know, with all the saga that's gone on in the background, you know, between uh, Radcliffe uh, and the Saudis to see who's going to buy this, uh, buy this team. Uh, you know, he's got on with his job. You know, he's going to need a lot of investment as well in the summer to, like, to compete with Liverpool and, and with City and with Arsenal next year. Mm. So he's going to need a lot of backing in, in, in the summer transfer window. So we'll see how that sort of pans out. Absolutely, yeah. It'd be interesting. All right, okay. Um, on to your own sport. I see uh, the talk is that the, the, the bans on the Chinese lads, there's a verdict due on that soon, am I right? Uh, there is, yeah. There's a verdict coming out very, very soon. And there's a, well, there's, one of them has already gone. He's been banned for a long time. But he started retired, so he'll be waiting for his ban. But he, he won't come back. That's Leon Guenpo. Yeah. But the other uh, seven or eight players, they'd be um, the announcement should be out soon. You know, the all the uh, deliberations are finished, and uh, yeah, they just have to wait for the bans now. But it should be it's going to be quite serious for a lot of players. Unfortunately, I mean, you have Yan Ming Tao who's in the top sixteen, Zhao Zintong as well. They're two of the the flag bearers for a lot of the Chinese now, and they're the highest ranked players. But they'll be looking at bans uh, and severe bans. You would expect as well, you know, for a lot of them. Some of them might get eight or ten years, you know. Uh, and and can when when you say bans like that, is that just from world snooker competitions, or is it all competition? How does it work exactly? It'll be any any snooker competition. It won't be a play in any uh, professional or even amateur events. So wow. it'll be banned worldwide and probably, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure where that will uh, sort of recruit to pool or Chinese pool but I think uh, if they are banned I don't think the Chinese Builders and Sneakers Association will even allow them to play there's a huge circuit of Chinese pool that's going on across Asia now and China big sponsorship lots of money in, in, in Chinese pool it's sort of uh, they're played on sort of half size snooker tables but with pool balls and it's it's a very lucrative sport in China now it's very very popular um, and they could play on that, but I'm not 100 percent sure whether it'd be allowed. But I think the association over there might even ban them playing in that now. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a, serious. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking it, about that. Even the, in yeah, even the in the contract hmm. with with the CBSA, you know, they could face criminal charges. Some of them because of the extent of their uh, actions. So uh, very very serious, you know, and it's, it's amazing. We'll, we'll be interested to see what what the sort of verdicts will be and, and the bans and and how lot, how lengthy they will be. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very sad for us. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just thinking, you know, I, I look, it's it's wrong on so many levels, but they were gotten to in temptation and made mistake. But uh, yeah. you know, you're talking about um, their livelihood. I mean, it's hard to imagine yeah. what they're going to do other than. Snooker, yeah. Place, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was too. Uh, I mean, particularly you take Yan Ming Tao. He came from very humble background, uh, 
not a lot of money, you know. We sacrificed a lot coming over to the UK, you know, become professional and worked his way up, got himself into the top 16, won the Masters, mm. you know, and uh, earning, like, really good money, you know, settled in Sheffield and had a new life and the temptation of, like, trying to throw, throw snooker matches for a small amount of money will cost him his livelihood. Yeah. Yeah, it's mad. Shame, terrible shame. It is but the good thing, the positive thing I would say about this, Reg, is that they were caught. You know, it was mm. a ring of like 10 of them that were caught. And, and worse Nuker have been very, very strong in catching them and also dishing out these bands. You know, a lot of sports around the world, you know, like there's cheaters going on, either mm. whether they're gambling or taking drugs or whatever. Don't do anything about it, you know, and brush it under the carpet. So at least uh, worse Nuker in a positive way. If yes. that's the only positive light I can put in it, mm. is that they've caught them and they're going to be banned and they're going to be made. Oh, they're certainly you know, discouraging, yeah, discouraging anybody else from ever thinking of going down that absolutely, road. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's a golf competition coming up in Sea Point. You were telling me about as well. There is. It's a big uh, legends event. Uh, a lot of the, uh, oh, you know, the older players, the over fifties, play in it. And then, uh, and it's going to be in Sea Point in, um, on the 22nd, I think, of uh, 22nd to 25th of June. So that should be good. Excellent. And there's a little program on on the on the Wednesday as well that we're going to be playing in as well. So there's a lot of Irish Irish footballers and and uh, different celebrities that are going to play in there. So it's a nice program on the Wednesday. Excellent. So where's where's it on? Sea Point's a lovely, lovely oh, yeah, Point. Sea yeah. Point. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's a few holes in Sea Point. You actually look across. And you're looking into Baltray. Oh, uh, but it's absolutely beautiful along there. The, the holes along the coast are just magnificent. You know, if the weather's good, hopefully it will be. Yeah, it'll be really, really nice. Now it's time for our Saturday interview as part of the Sport Endorse uh, regular slot that we have. And I'm delighted to, join, uh, to be joined on the phone with the Mayo legend, Lee Keegan. Morning, Lee. How are you? Ah, never better on a beautiful day like this. Now, how could I not be happy? Um, I have to say, uh, is, is it, are things even hotter in the West? I think at the minute, are they? They are. I tell you, it's like a sweat fest uh, this way. It's either we get brutal weather or we get absolutely heat stroke in here. So it's it's great. I love it. Uh, <laughs> my kids are not too too keen on it. Uh, <laughs> they're running around in nappies from from pillars of gold. So it's uh, it's uh, trying to get them adjusted to it. It's it, no no harm in that. They'll get adjusted fairly quick. I I know the uh, the weather in the west well. I'm uh, Galway. Um, on my mother's side, so with a lot of rivalries over the year between yeah. Galway and Mayo, and uh, um, I have plenty of cousins living in Mayo who still give me grief and give me stick over. But uh, you, you've you have you've had the lion's share in recent years, although just finding it hard to get across the line a, a few times. How, how are you? Mm. How are you finding it since you stepped away from the county game? Um. It's definitely been a readjustment period, and um, it probably took you know a couple of months. Um, I suppose when you make your decision initially, it's it's kind of put to bed and and you're on your own. It's only when the season gets up and running then it probably gets a bit difficult. Uh, you see the team, the lads that you're training with constantly over over the years, and you know what's involved and and kind of the dates in your head when you should be back and when you're peaking and, and when you're looking for the big game. So that was definitely a readjustment period. But um, it's been busy. Uh, I. I now signed up with RT for for my tenants for mm. uh, for a bit of punditry analysis, which I love doing. Um, I'm obviously a big advocate for for games in general and and how the game is is evolving and trying to learn different things from different teams. So it's been a it's been a readjustment, but it's been positive in a lot of manners. And you know what? Just even to be more and I said this openly enough, trying to be more present around home. Um, I spend time with the family a bit more and, and give a bit back there as well. I suppose when you're when you're in the share of it, um, you're quite selfish in terms of what you're giving. So just I suppose uh, to be a bit more present and and be more available to to people closest to me, it's, it's been a, it's been a positive as well. Yeah, you mentioned your punditry there, RTE these days. The punditry is getting better to watch the football. <laughs> <laughs> it depends what way you're looking at it, Reggie. I don't know if you're on the other side of the car, we're getting worse. If you're on the far side, it's good. So I don't know if there's an in between, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely been a new new world of um, opinions and a bit of banter. So, but it's, it's part of the fun of it. I think 
you know, when you jump on board with these things, it's a learning curve as well. Uh, and I'm no different from anyone else. You learn the, the good way or the hard way. And, and I've got some good lessons so far this year. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah there, I tell you what, I've, no, I've done a bit of it myself. There's, uh, there is a learning process there. All right. But uh, you'll eventually get settled into it and uh, you'll be happy enough to make your, your own points yeah. on it. How about Mayo? This year, I mean, they've loud. You'd expect that to get the the job done under Kevin McStay. They, they're going okay. Yeah, um, I think you know you, you take the overall context of Mayo this year. Um, you know, it's been a really positive season. You know, preseason, you know, tournaments are a bit of a waste of time. But again, Kevin set out the stall early. You know, the one that FPD competition and and put a lot of emphasis on kind of preseason conditioning um, and getting the guys up to scratch early. So. And that was evidence from the league performances, you know, they won the league title as well, which is another positive. And then it kind of came crashing down a little bit then against Roscommon. But in hindsight, and I suppose this is the, the nooks and crannies of the new champion structure, that it actually kind of worked out really well for them. They went on holiday for two weeks, readjusted to the, to the time frame, and then put in an absolute barnstorming performance against Kerry. So you'll be looking at the game tomorrow and, and you're expecting, you know, Mayo victory based on, I suppose, the performance against Kerry. But... I suppose the way some of their key guys are, are playing for Mayo at the moment, I think is a huge positive. I, I always reference Aidan O'Shea, a guy I, I troop with for, for 12 years. You know, mm. he's playing with a big smile on his face. He looks really happy with his football. You know, you take the blip from Roscommon out, um, and I always say, not excuses, but it's very hard to go from a league final performance and a victory seven days later to play a championship uh, white heat battle against Roscommon. So, that was a that was a tough assignment, and Roscommon are well ready for that. That's not taken away from their victory; they're they're fully deserved. But when I look at guys like Aiden, Ty Durkin, Ryan O'Donoghue, and and the biggest positive for me, Reggie, is that when I looked at the Kerry game, and I t- I wasn't sure where they're at because no one did. They didn't start Ty Durkin. They didn't start Tommy Conroy. Didn't start mm-hmm. Owen McLaughlin. Didn't start Stevie Cohen. All mainstay guys over the years when I played, they all came on and made a huge difference. And I I was thinking to myself, if these guys are rested, are they going up here? Maybe just you know. Uh, clock in and maybe try and get a good performance they fully backed themselves and the young guys at that started that game so really positive signs um, I think they're going to get a bit of a different test tomorrow in terms of loud and, and defensive setup and, and it's been well referenced and documented already from the Roscommon game how can they break down that I, I think they'll be fine tomorrow but there'll be a couple of questions asked them that they might need to have solutions and, and uh, players for it to get over that line yeah, of course. Well, well, we'll certainly watch it. I mean, the Mayo fans, the most loyal uh, there, there are in the country, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I, I have about 60 seconds left, but I say this to you now as someone after 10 years of playing with Leinster, never got it across the line to win that Champions Cup, and we should have a couple of times. You're yeah. in the same situation yourself. Regrets? Um, no, I think regrets a hard word to use. I, I, I look back on the success on an individual level but also team level yeah I didn't get across the line but it would have made me a better person as a result no yeah. it would have been nice to say I did it uh, no more just that Reggie but I think they'll always look at the bigger picture I think it sets us up for what we learned and how we move on in life so no regrets just, just a lot of good memories with a lot of good teammates over the years well, that uh, sums it up pretty good and I'll, I'll try and take some solace for that myself. <laughs> uh, I'll have a think about that afterwards, although sometimes I still wake up in a cold I know, sweat. I know, <laughs> and I do well. You know, you always have the fear of missing out, but that's, I think that's when you put your decision to bed and you make that... You make that bed, you know, you get you get on with life. And I think, you know, when you put yourself into certain situations, you know, you just move on with it and you adapt to what's going on in front of you. Time for a little bit of rugby now. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by the one and only Declan Drake. Morning, Declan. How are you? Very well, Reg. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a beautiful day. It reminds me of championship football weather and hurling as well in this kind of sunshine. Um, long, long way it last, but uh, a little bit earlier maybe than we're used to, but we'll take it early. There's no problem with that, but uh, we're going to have a quick roundup of the rugby now to look back on as the season comes to a close and we get excited about the World Cup. Uh, I suppose you watched Munster winning it last week, did you, Bits of it, anyway. Bits of it, yeah. I um, was otherwise engaged, but was keeping an active interest in it. All right, yeah. So, you know, fair play to the Reds. They they they're back on uh, back on track, as they say, with that great win down in South Africa uh, last week. So it's Munster one, Leinster nil in terms of the trophies this year, Reg. What's Absolutely. Your on that? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I have to say, uh, fair play to Munster. They grabbed that opportunity that was given to them uh, by um, winning that semi final against Leinster, and it was a tough. A very, very tough ask, Declan, uh, for them to go down. Like, I mean, you look back on Munster season this year, 
the start of the season, everybody, uh, myself included, we were talking about how poorly they were performing. They were being written off. There was question marks about players, question marks about coaching appointments, question marks about everything. And that was their fans that they were doing most of the questioning about it. There was even talk that they weren't even going to make next year's Champions Cup the way things were going um, with their performances. And that was the early part of the season. You really were, we all were struggling to understand or see how they might turn it around. But they did, and turn it around they did, and they just got their heads down and worked hard. That's the only way to describe it. They just kept battling on week in, week out. Went to South Africa previously, got a good result down there, a tough result as well, um, prior to the final. And, um, you know, that was really sort of, you could see a bit of a change and a bit of a turn in the whole squad uh, at that point. Um, there was a bit of resilience coming into them, a bit of steeliness starting to come back into the squad. Um, um, and, and that 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 was always something that was in the monster psyche, but it had been lost a little bit. But they've say they seem to regain it brilliantly, um, and then <clears throat> they brought that through to um, that semi final performance against Leinster. And uh, you know we'll talk about Leinster in a minute, and, and maybe their missed opportunities this season, um, but. Munster could only do what was put in front of them and they did it brilliantly and they, they kept their composure and got a great result but for them to go down last week to South Africa again bring all their fans down with them um, against a Stormer side who were you know they, they, they had you know they'd been doing videos and delighted that they weren't having to travel back up to Dublin they had kind of already uh, given in to the idea that they were going to be coming back to Dublin for the final and playing Leinster they didn't think for one second it was going to go the other way and you saw the reaction uh, there's plenty of online videos which was perfect fuel for the fire for the Munster players by the way but um, you know to go down there and get the result uh, and it was a tough match it was a real battle you know I mean there was mistakes made by both teams um, and, and like it was down to the wire down to the last five minutes and they just kept battling on kept their head together uh, kept going and deserved their win you know and deserved it for the fans that went down there as well um, and and they've turned what started out as a disastrous season into an unbelievably positive one so fair play to them well done and I'll tell you another thing that's going to be crucially important for us from a World Cup point of view because those Munster players um, you know they're, they're, they're the backbone of that squad as well and there was a lot of Leinster players involved on, on, on a day to day basis in that um, Ireland team but the Munster lads give give that little bit of edge mm. as well. So it's good for Irish rugby. It's great for Irish rugby. There is, of course, a Munster connection in spoiling what would have been the perfect year for Irish rugby, the Grand Slam and, and all the rest of it as well. That's Ronan O'Gara, of course, head coach of La Rochelle, who defeated Leinster in the, in the Heineken Cup final there recently. And speaking of Leinster, losing that Heineken Cup final, losing the league semi-final, as you mentioned, to Munster there a little bit earlier on, a very disappointing season overall, or the culmination of it at least, Reg, because they would have targeted one of the trophies anyway. Ah, yeah, I mean, from, from a Leinster point, of view and a Leinster supporters point of view it was a devastating season really I mean three weeks four weeks ago everybody was sitting back um, trying to work out you know how they'd put the next star on the jersey and you know where they were going to be how would they get tickets for the uh, URC final and the, 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 the La Rochelle final and it was all going to plan and everything was great and Leinster were the greatest team that we've ever seen and they were unbeatable and it was all this sort of talk and Leinster was a machine and you know we were the envy of the world and all this kind of chat but it just goes to prove uh, the way things are in sport. You, you've got to, you've got to just focus on the here and now and on the and, and on the present moment. And I'm not saying that Leinster took their eye off the ball. I don't believe that they did that, but I do think they'll look back on it um, and regret decisions that were made around maybe the, the URC semi-final. They probably shouldn't have rested as many frontliners as they did. Um, and I know hindsight's a great thing and I know we can all look back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's easy to say that now. But the reality is you don't offer an opportunity to a team like Munster. Um, you don't... And, you know, I'm, and I'm sure many in the Munster quarter as well and I could see this felt it was a bit disrespectful that they didn't put out a stronger team maybe in that semi-final um, that they felt they could get the job done without having to play those frontliners and that again as as 
it was with the Stormers that just added a little bit of fuel to the fire for those Munster players and you could see that in the way that they played uh, the game and, and, and they hung on in there so there's no doubt about it from a Leinster perspective I, you know the, the, the La Rochelle game was hugely disappointing but I can't say that they didn't give it their all it's just their second half tactics didn't work they just didn't you know they didn't play in the second half and, and it was very very frustrating as a supporter to watch that um, because they had played so well in the first half it was just disappointing to see your team not perform in the second half and that would be the case for the players themselves and for of course the coaching staff uh, but I think um, many Leinster supporters would feel that the URC should have been given a little bit more uh, focus and a little bit more respect because as it turns out you know, they thought they were getting the balance right, they didn't, and now here we are, trophyless. Mm. So it's a disappointing season, it has to yeah. be said, to come so far to place. I suppose the most annoying and disappointing part about it all is 97% of the season was perfect. <laughs> but the important 3%, which was winning those two games, failed. And yeah. that makes the whole season yeah. a failure. And of course, the winds of change are blowing through Leinster for next season as well. Of course, Stuart Lancaster has departed the coaching staff and Johnny Sexton is, uh, has, well, well, after the World Cup, <coughs> retired, but he's played his, has played his last game for Leinster, had done s- some time ago. So, yeah, congratulations to Munster on that. That brought the curtain down on the club season, if you like. Reg, now attention, the year that's in it turns to the World Cup in France and we had the recent Ireland squad announcement as well by Andy Farrell. Any surprises from your perspective in the big number that's chosen? Yeah, well, I mean, he's picked four uncapped players, I suppose, they can, in their own right. So Tom Stewart, Calvin Ash, Kieran Frawley, Jamie Osborne, they're the names. Um, you know, so they would be the ones you'd probably say, well, they're uncapped, um, but they're only in the exter- you know, the external squad. It's not the final 33-man squad that they'll announce. Um, so they would be considered by some to be surprises. I suppose the obvious one would be the out half situation so you've got Kieran Frawley there who can cover 10 in the background as well but you, the main ones are Sexton Jack Crowley and Ross Byrne Ross Byrne getting the nod um rightly so uh, after many years of having to try and to and fro in that whether or not he gets in or out of squad so good to see him involved there after the work he's put in uh, over the seasons Jack Crowley as well earning the right to be there no question whatsoever about that you know you um, you think about things that that have happened and different out halves that have been touted as being the answer and the replacement for Sexton um, and these are the two that are coming in there so uh, hard hard to see the likes of Joey Carberry having fallen so down the pecking order there's no doubt about it a very very talented player but just a, a player whose career hasn't gone in the direction that he certainly would have wanted or that many felt it would so um, to see it finally there in black and white where he's not included on that squad will be hard for him overall I have to say it's a brilliant looking squad it really really is a brilliant looking squad Um, fantastic players again whether we like it or don't like it there is a big reliance on Johnny Sexton I think we saw that with Leinster as well in those final games that we were talking about Uh, but there is a big reliance on him but by all reports things are going well there Um, but yeah it's it's a really good squad it's a strong squad they're going off now to do some warm weather training I think in Portugal, I think they come together on something in the middle of June, uh, 14th of June or something like that to to, to actually get ready for all of this um, World Cup. It's a very exciting time, I remember it well, Um, you know getting ready in World Cup year, getting together in the middle of the summer and planning for it and uh, highly exciting so these lads have got a a wonderful experience ahead of them Um, and it's going to be an interesting World Cup and of course number one in the world we're very much uh, 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 considered by many to be favourites to go and get the job done but I'm just happy to sit back and watch them win one game at a time and see where we go from there The target on the back is just uh, immense isn't it it's a a position that we haven't been in before as far as I can remember anyway watching but certainly interesting times and great times to look forward to on the rugby front just to finish Reg on on the women's game um, quite a tough year disappointing year in, in many respects a lot of off the field issues as well uh, for the women's game what was your overall assessment of 2023 from their perspective yeah it was kind of uh, to be perfectly honest with you it was a little bit of more of the same you know we'd heard it before we've heard there's no question whatsoever that the women's game um, needs totally re- total restructure and investment and, and, and the right people going in 
um, to address those issues. It needs it needs proper representation from the clubs right up to the top that that is going to be listened to and is going to be actually actioned upon. I'm not sure is the answer that they'll 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 go that route. There's because we've heard it before. I mean, um, there's been plenty of talk before around the women's game and and what will and won't be done, and we've failed to see it. And that's the you know that's the that's the public perception of it. Whether the IRFU would like to say differently or would like to you know put stats out there and they do quote investment that's gone in and monies that have gone in and 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 coaches setups that have gone in and everything else. But the reality is whether they like it or they don't like it because all those things are on paper and they can be facts. I mean, the reality is the public perception perception is not that. It's um, and it's not and and certainly amongst a lot of the players as well, it doesn't seem to be the situation. So they have to address that and they have to be serious about it. I don't think they're going to get any more chances on this. They've got to get it right this time. Uh, for once and for all, um, and and show that they are serious about progressing the game, and they want it to be successful mm-hmm. for the women. So, while it's been, you look back in the season and you say, okay, it's been very negative. There's been a lot of bad media and bad press about it, and bad everything else, bad performances. Let's be honest, and bad results. Um, it's also an opportunity. It really has to be that taken seriously opportunity to have a go at this try and get it right, try and really work towards uh, finding a solution that everybody is happy with, not just that the you know, the top brass are happy with that everybody down below is happy with and that um, it can bring the game forward because it's too important you know, I mean, women's sport, we see how much it's growing right across the board in every other sport, look at the GAA for example, the massive growth, the numbers I think 188,000 or something was the last number I was looking at and growing all the time for participation um, filling out Croke Park with 56 60, 70,000 people for all Ireland finals. That's some progression in a very short period of time for the LGFA. So um, I think Irish rugby has to have the same ambitions and have to try and put that amount of effort into it. Um, so again, we'll see. Um, but like I said, I think this is the last chance. Well, only a couple of short years ago, the Irish women's football team were, were in the dumps, didn't seem to be going too far anywhere anytime soon, and uh, all things changed with the right structures put in place, the right people put in place, and here we are just a month away now from the World Cup for them, so maybe there's lessons to be learned from uh, from Abbottstown on that one, Rich. Declan, um, absolutely cracking weekend for all things GAA. Matches uh, going on everywhere. Um, where do we begin? Yeah, I'm just erasing the answer to the question from my script here at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Before we give anyone a, a clue to it. But yeah, certainly busy times, all right. We start this week, though, with the heartiest of congratulations to our minor footballers who on Wednesday night were crowned Leinster champions for 2023. Damien Fenley's Young Blues reached the provincial summit for the second consecutive season thanks to a 19 points to 2-8 win over Kildare at O'Moore Park in Portleash. Lenny Cahill, the Castlenock clubman, scoring seven points for the Young Dubs who commenced their campaign with a home win over Loud back in early April. Next up, and this is a breaking news from last night, is an All-Ireland quarter-final with Cork. They lost the Munster final to Kerry in Tralee. So the Dubs versus the Rebels in the minor quarterfinal next week. Turning our attention now to the senior footballers who last Sunday commenced their three-game phase group of the All-Ireland Football Championship. First up was a Croke Park date with Ross Common, who had been operating in Division 1 of the league. The game finished in a draw, 111 to 14 points. The goal for Desi Farrell's charge is coming from Ballymont Kickham's rep, John Small. It's a result which sees all four sides in the group level on one point apiece. And next up for Dublin is a second road trip of the Championship 2023 this afternoon, as we mentioned, to Nolan Park in Kilkenny to Kildare, the venue of course the Lilywhites have chosen for their home game in this particular championship run Time now to get some reaction First up was Dove's boss Desi Farrell who shared his thoughts on the game itself from the Blues perspective Immediately you'd probably be a little bit disappointed that we didn't see it out um, but you know when you take a little bit of time to reflect on it um, we'll it was our first Division 1 team, we knew there was that step up in quality coming and uh, how we were going to respond to that was always the curiosity point for me. Uh, we definitely struggled in the first half and got to grips with it in the second half and presented a different proposition. Um, so I, 
overall, I, I'm happy enough. I think there's a lot for us to learn from that game and uh, and bring into the next uh, couple of matches in, in this competition. Yeah, yeah, you know, at, at this level, a black card is is always going to be a huge challenge, uh, particularly when you play a team like Roscommon who. We're a possession-based team, you know, they like to control the tempo of the game, um, they get a lot of bodies back and, and look to hit you on counter-attacks, you know, so it can be very frustrating, we, we're a little bit more front foot, a little bit more aggressive, uh, like to transition the ball quickly, uh, but you need your hands on the ball obviously to do that, and when you go down a man against a team like that, it can be very frustrating, So, uh, but I, I think we've managed it reasonably well, to be fair, at that period, um, and uh, you know, regrouped at half time and had a good spell. Um, first 20 minutes or so, I thought we, we dominated exchanges and then just let let the, let Ross Common off the hook. Now, they had a couple of wides as well that they'll be, you know, drop shorts that they'll be disappointed with, you know. So maybe overall a draw was a fair result. We'll have to look back at it and see uh, in the minute detail is that the case or not. Um, yeah, we will. And, um, you know, of course, the jury's still out as to where we're really at, but but you need those types of challenges. You need those types of games, and particularly ones that go down to the wire and presented with all sorts of scenarios, you know. So uh, there there is a lot to be gleaned from that uh, when we pull it apart and, and take a look and, and try to bring whatever we can with us uh, is the key, you know. And can we can we double down on, on you know any lessons that we can take from that? Uh, the concern from our perspective is obviously the six-day turnaround and a couple of heavy knocks taken there as well. So um, that's definitely going to be a challenge uh, for there. We'll have two weeks since their last game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, does, is that a telling factor in the um, outcome of the game? Yes, indeed it will. Uh, the black card Desi referred to there was for Michael Fitzsimons of Kula, uh, who was uh, black carded on 17 uh, minutes. Hot Dublin, to be fair, did quite well uh, in the period that uh, he was off. He's selected as full back on the team uh, for this evening's game against Kildare in Nolan Park, which throws in at 5 o'clock. Davy Byrne, who went off injured uh, last uh, Sunday, not available to play today. So that's the view of the banished door, Desi Farrell. Now, the view from the press box. Well, I caught up with Emma Duffy of the 42.ie post-match at headquarters last Sunday to get her impressions of the contest. Um, I think there's still a lot of our questions to be answered. Um, I do think, I suppose, that game could have went either way in the end. Um, obviously, Ross Common drawn it late on, 74th minute free or so from Donny Smith. Um, and then chances at either end from freeze to, to win the game ultimately. Um, but then Dublin were two points up, if I recall correctly, at 70 minutes. Um, and you probably would have backed them to see it out. They had a few chances from there too. So, yeah, I suppose probably mixed emotions afterwards for, for both teams, especially for Dublin. Um, probably initially disappointment, but then, you know, they'll count themselves lucky to have got the draw as well. Um, so yeah, I do think there are certainly plenty of questions to be answered. It was a step up today. Probably was expecting a little bit more from Dublin. Um, I think only four different scores, which is, I suppose, something that jumps out straight away. Um, four points down at half time, but they did rally well at the start of the second half. But it did look like they they probably should have seen it out and and took all points on offer. Michael Fitzsimons returned to the starting 15 today after his break for recent exams and after 17 minutes he found himself back on the sideline again with, with a black card. Dublin seemed to cope fairly well with his absence for that 10 minute period. Mm, absolutely and I suppose Ross Common had their tails up at that stage and they probably settled in better they started brighter uh, overall and I suppose at times they probably did to Dublin what Dublin have done to teams for so long just enjoying possession um, and yeah I think I think in that period where Mick Fitzsimons was off um, Ross Common scored them by four points to two but I guess you'd take that um, obviously being down a man um, and then when he came back and Dublin were at their full complement uh, I think they, they kind of clawed themselves back into the game a little bit but then just before half time I think it was five or six minutes straight Roscommon held the ball uh, and finished it off by Jeremy Murtha I think he scored the point um, to put them four points up at the break so yeah probably like a, a, a difficult position for the Dubs to be in um, but 
definitely they did come out and respond well at the start of the second half. But yeah, I, I would agree that they did cope quite well um, with that sin bin as, as well as they could have. From a Dublin perspective, and I think from a neutral perspective as well, it was a frustrating first half to watch. A lot of ball over and back across the field, and I don't know how many touches at the ball the Ross Common goalkeeper got in that period as well, but it was a particularly difficult watch. A lot better in the second half, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose possession was probably the, the name of the game in the first half, and just over and back, over and back, lots of hand passing, which we see so often, and it's just the way the game has gone. Um, that's the way it is at the minute. But then I suppose when you see teams try and inject a bit more energy into it and break at pace, that's when it's probably most exciting uh, you know, to attack with a little bit of chaos, um, which we see at times. And I suppose even when Dublin went, when they tried to go direct um, that paid dividends for them uh, so I suppose it is probably like teams trying to focus on their strengths uh, and, and nullify other, other teams weaknesses like that's just I suppose the two teams their styles that's the way Roscommon played and they tried to play the first half on their terms um, but then the second half there was a little bit more um, it was a little bit more entertaining I suppose um, while Dublin tried to claw it back and you know it it went right down to the wire at the end but I wouldn't say it was a, a classic by any means or manner No, it, cer- it certainly wasn't but it makes it very interesting now that Emma because after round one all four teams in the group have a point apiece great opportunity for either Dublin or Roscommon to kick on and go to the top of the group ahead of phase two which from a Dublin perspective takes them on the road for the second time in this year's championship they're going to be away in Nolan Park in Kilkenny it's a few years since they've been there but uh, I think Conor Callan might have made his Dublin debut that particular evening but they play Kildare for the third time this year both of the previous games have been competitive they've been close we can expect another tight one in the Marble City on Saturday yeah I think so I think so and I think I suppose Kildare will be going into it uh, looking at the dubs probably under par again um, and, and hoping that they can get at them again. We obviously saw them here in the, the Leinster semi-final really putting it up to Dublin and I suppose maybe setting a precedent for other teams of how to play against Dublin, this Dublin team. Um, so I do think they will, I suppose, be chomping at the bit to get at Dublin again and to get at them away from Crow Park and away from the capital. Um, but obviously they were, you know... the. That, get, that first game for Kildare against Sligo probably didn't go the way people expected it probably thought it would have been a lot uh, a lot different to, to the outcome that it was but yeah I suppose it, it adds to the excitement of it all that all teams are on I suppose one point each uh, level pegging um, but it, it's an interesting one as well I suppose the new format it, anything could happen with it going forward but it just seems a bit mad that there's so many games to just eliminate I think it's four teams or so yeah, that's a fair point indeed. Emma, best of luck to Desi and the boys this evening. It's got a feel of real championship football about it this evening and uh, Kildare can't be moaning anymore because the Dubs are finally out of Crow Park to play them as well. Five o'clock throw in down there. A little more from Emma coming up shortly on the ladies game which we turn our attention to now. And by the way, coming up later in the programme we'll have Michal Dunhill, the Dublin senior hurling manager following the draw against Galway last Sunday in Crow Park and also Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, joining us as well. But staying with football for the moment and switching to the ladies, Mick Bowen's side claimed back-to-back Leinster Championship titles for the first time, sorry, pardon me, since the resumption of the competition post-COVID and a 10th title in a row. 2-9 to 9 points was the scoreline against All-Ireland Queen's Mead last Sunday. Kate Sullivan, a former All-Ireland Intermediate Club champion St. Sylvester's raising both green flags for the dubs. It's a win which sees them into the All-Ireland Series. Two games to come in that. They face Kerry on June the 17th and Cavan a week later, which I believe is away from home. Well, Emma Duffy has been a keen observer of the ladies' team over the last number of years. She agreed that uh, beating the Royals three times this year so far was a massive psychological boost ahead of the serious championship business to come. I think so. I think it's, as you say, a bit of a psychological edge or a psychological boost. Um, another piece of silverware, 10 Leinster crowns in a row, isn't bad going by any means. Um, but obviously... Me, they're the All-Ireland champions, I suppose. When you look at it, the All-Ireland is the big one and that's what Meath have won the last few years. The Dubs have been have been left disappointed in that regard. Um, so, obviously, Leinster is hugely important. There's huge value in the competition too, especially now with teams back there and it being a competitive championship. 
Um, whereas a few years ago, it looked like it was going to just fall away by the wayside altogether. Um, but yeah, I suppose good to get those competitive championship games in before heading into the All-Ireland series and an interesting path certainly lies ahead for the Dubs and for, for several other counties. Yeah, it certainly does and that's their third victory in the championship having beaten Mead twice and, and now Leash but a particularly significant day for the group Emma of course because they've lost so many experienced players um, like Lindsay Davey has, has retired Neve Collins is away Kira Trant has stepped away Sinead O'Hearn is not involved at the moment either so for a lot of the new girls to come in and to win a Leinster Championship medal in their first season is particularly impressive yeah absolutely it's huge um, I suppose a Leinster medal uh, silverware in any regard with with your intercounty team is, is a huge honour and like even looking through the Dublin team um, and their scores Kate Sullivan got two goals one in either half um, against Meath and I think Kate's a phenomenal footballer but I suppose you know t- to be the, the main woman uh, to be that forward leading the charge it's huge for her um, real coming of age I suppose obviously she's been there there based the last few seasons but this could be a real breakthrough for her um, and then yeah just just looking through the teams I suppose it's, it's names that not everyone would be familiar with they're not all household names but obviously they've grown up watching Dublin teams win win year after year September after September here in Crow Park and they'll have goals and aims to do the exact same um, so yeah I can, I can see Dublin certainly being competitive this year like I say I do think beating me in the Leinster final is definitely a psychological boost to them psychological edge as you say three wins out of three against them this year but it's not just me they have to worry about it's a it's a wide yeah. open championship isn't it yeah, very much so and I mean last year they beat Meath here at Croke Park mm-hmm. the same day as the men's Leinster final uh, was played now we've had our scheduling issues this year which meant that wasn't going to happen um, looking ahead for Dublin they go into the All-Ireland series now very much determined to make up for the disappointment last year suffered against uh, Donegal and the group that they've got I think is Calvin and, and Kerry as well Emma yeah, difficult group. Um, I suppose with Kerry in particular, obviously, All Ireland finalists last year, reigning Division One League champions, um, had a fantastic start to the season. Uh, I know they they didn't just get over the line in the Munster final. Cork had their number that that day, um, but you know they'll have a little bit of a sting in their tail as well. Um, and as you say, that hurt that Dublin suffered last year. That All Ireland quarter final exit was probably a shock to to, to everyone. Obviously, Donegal, a fantastic team huge tradition in the game as well but I suppose the expectation would have been for, for Dublin to advance there um, so yeah and I suppose I just remember that day I think Cork exited around the same time um, and I suppose it really felt like a, a change into the guard in, in ladies football in general given the two counties had dominated for so long but um, I think they'll both have their sights set on getting back there uh, and, and anything could happen over the next few weeks Interesting times to come in the ladies game. Well done to Mick and the girls on that victory last week. Speaking of uh, GA headquarters, uh, Dublin were there in the double last week. The hurlers completed their Leinster campaign with just one loss in five thanks to a high-scoring draw with Galway. 222 to 125 was the final score. Keen O'Sullivan of St. Bridget's and former All-Star Danny Sutcliffe grabbing the goals from Michal Donoghue's charges. Dublin played some wonderful hurling in the first half. Ten points up against the Galway side who were quite poor in that period. Very much improved in the second half. But it was left to Donald Burke than a Fianna ace to secure the draw for Dublin late on. Two wins and two draws in the group, so lost to Kilkenny. Let's now join our hurling analyst Sean Lane who watched that game with great interest last Sunday afternoon from Crow Park. A stirring draw but probably a little sense of disappointment Sean that we didn't hold on and win the game. Yeah, you, you would have to say that Declan. Uh, good morning to you. Um, definitely played really out of their skin the first half and there were great displays from you know Danny Sutcliffe and Keen Bowling got a couple of points and also Donald Bourke and there's a great range of scores I mean I just looked at the back line Dara Gray scored Conor Bourke scored Conor Donald scored Owen O'Donnell chipped in with two points so it's not very difficult to get to 22 points when you've Donald Bourke thrown over 10 or 11 and, and you, you have a back line then thrown in 4 or 5 you know you surely get another 8 or 9 from your forwards but there were some fantastic displays I thought Sean Brennan's penalty save was excellent as well but you would have to be disappointed that when Galway kind of came back out the second half, and indeed, when we did come out the second half for the first five minutes, we, we hurled really, really well, and poor Donald Burke would be very disappointed. He did miss two scoreable frees in that period, 
But uh, Galway did um, up the tempo. There's no doubt about that. But I'd worry for Galway as well, Declan. I mean, you know, it's the same names, the Evan Islands with whatever, nine or ten points. Dahi Bork came up from the half-back line to get a goal. And Joseph and Kevin Cooney got eight points between them. So it's the same names going on the score sheets every week for Galway. So... Henry will have a, a, lot, a lot of work to do. But but one thing that has to be said in, in relation to people who are saying should Dublin play their games in Crow Park? Well, we have our answer now. We, we beat Wexford in a, in a cracker, a very exciting game, and won by a point. And, and uh, we held Galway to a draw, which was great as well. Yeah, and of course it's Galway. Kenny in the Leinster final next week. And uh, Sean Stack of uh, Parnells has been selected as the referee for that game next week. So congratulations to Sean on that particular achievement. From a Dublin perspective, mission accomplished uh, to a large degree, Sean. They're still hurling in the month of June, which is what they wanted. And it's a preliminary quarter final against the McDonough Cup winners, Carlo. Now, they'll be skill and hair flying in that one, I think. Yeah, there will be, Declan, and, and you and me have good memories. It's, I think it's a 2019 when, when, when we qualified last. It was time we got the great uh, result in Parnell Park against Galway. It's so funny, Michal, I don't know who the Galway manager that night. But we went down to play Leash in, in Port Leash who, in the provisional quarterfinal, expecting, sure, this would be grand, we'd be playing Tipperary. But we got turned over, and to be fair, what I saw, I saw a very good Offaly team on Saturday night. I thought they were very hard done by with the sending off. But uh, I thought Carlo showed a, a, a range of skills to throw up a score, whatever. They scored 131, I think, uh, which obviously included extra time. But uh, Dublin would want to, you know, nail down and say to themselves, right, now, you know, we want to be, get over Carlo and we want to have a right cut in, in an All-Ireland quarterfinal against the, the loser between Clare and Limerick. And as we all know, Declan, that's not going to be an easy game. But something, certainly two games, hopefully, to look forward to. Uh, extending the season uh, you know Michal who have an extra time with them before they go back to club championship uh, you know you'd be dotting the I's and saying you know season number one going okay uh, out of three Are you familiar with the Elton John song I'm Still Standing? <laughs> so yeah, I am indeed Yeah well um, you see where I might be going with this Limerick the All-Ireland Champions we have two minutes left in this Limerick the All-Ireland Champions they're still standing Sean they're still in the All-Ireland Series they'll be playing Clare in the Munster Final that was the result of last week beating Cork and Tipperary losing surprisingly to Waterford cracking Munster Final to look forward to too Oh, there's no doubt, Declan. And, and look, from from you know a Limerick point of view, last week, we, and we mentioned it on the show last week that um, you know that Cork were after getting four goals against Tip, and we're after getting three goals against Clare. Limerick kind of set the stalls up and said, "Fine, look at if Cork at 27 or 28 points, fair enough. We'll concentrate and get a few goals." Limerick rattled in three goals and very, very, very good goals. I thought they were very fortuitous. I thought the referee was, was really poor. Um, for, for the awarding of the penalty I mean it was definitely the the forward was holding the backs hurl but look these things happen um, you know a, a fantastic game of hurling some fantastic um, exhibitions but then when you go after the game you look down through the scoreboard and you say to yourself okay well who contributed again to Cork today and you know Patrick Horgan won 14 Seamus Harnedy 4 points Dara Fitzgibbon 4 and you're just saying to yourself, OK, look, there's nothing new really coming here. They have been a day late and a dollar short for the last four or five years. But, you know, is this you know, is this a big stepping stone for Limerick? They, they left Keane Lynch on the line. Um, Dermot Burns, I, I've never seen a penalty hit so hard in all of my life. There's just a couple of things. And even, you know, um, you know there's been a lot of criticism of the forwards, but they did get 325. Uh, that's a great score for Limerick to put up. So... You know, nobody wants want to meet Limerick and I still think we're in for a cracking Munster final, Declan, in, uh, next Sunday against Clare and Limerick and I believe that game is now fixed for Limerick. Time to turn our attention to football now that I'd be joined on the line by the one and only Alan Colling. Morning, Al, how are you? I'm good, Reggie, how are you? Oh, never better. I tell you, this league uh, is really hotting up. I mean, a uh, good result for Rovers last night, 2-0 win. Derry slipping up a little bit maybe at home to Shelburne, uh, nil all. Bowes getting that 2-0 victory as well. Cork winning on the road, 1-0. Pats winning 3-1. There's only uh, four points between the top four teams and Bowes have a game in hand. Uh, the league couldn't be more exciting as it stands. Yeah, absolutely, Reggie. The one thing we asked for, I suppose, at the start of the year was that we would have a title race, but everybody thought the title race would be between Derry and Shamrock Rovers. But as you say, um, Bohemians have introduced themselves into that title race and obviously St. Pat's as well with their recent good form. So it's great. It's great for the league, the competitiveness. That's what you want. Now, you could argue in terms of the standard where it's at because there's a lot of teams very inconsistent. And as you said, if you compare... 
I suppose the last three or four years, the teams that went on to win the league after 18 games were probably a 40, 44 points. But still, as neutrals and for a spectacle, I think it's great that we do have three or four teams in the mix and that's exactly what we wanted. And we still have a full schedule of games coming in on Monday as well on the bank holiday. Uh, the real juicy one I'm looking at there is Pats at home to Derry City. Yeah, massive game because I suppose the fact that we do have the three or four teams in the mix now, Reggie, you will <coughs> excuse me, you will have a lot of top of the table clashes just like that. I'm actually down in Sligo this weekend and I'm gonna to go to Sligo Rovers versus Shamrock Rovers. A huge game as well for Shamrock Rovers. You mentioned the fact that they got back to winning ways last night. 2-0 as well so Derry slipping up at home to Shelburne so that one in in, in Shakur will be massive now but I think that's the beauty of it next Friday night we've the game on the telly Derry against Bowles you mentioned Bowles as well a good 2-0 win for them last night and they're in the mix with the game in hand so the longer that continues the better Reggie you'll have teams obviously involved in Europe now next month as well that could be a distraction for a couple of those teams and could offer the likes of Bowles and Pat maybe an opportunity to capitalise so um, it certainly makes for interesting viewing at the moment. And and Bowes away on Monday to Cork City, you would have thought that was a a, a result in the bag. But as Declan Drake reminded me, City on a little bit of a roll recent or recently, yeah, Cork City. Yeah, they've won three on the bounce. And when you think think of, I suppose, their poor form at the start of the season and the struggles that they were having just coming up from the first division, everybody thought it was going to be a real struggle. But to be fair to Liam Buckley, he went in a couple of weeks back, and obviously Colin Healy left his role. And Liam has been taking charge. Um, and I think, obviously, they've won three games on the trot now as well. So that's a fantastic run of form for them. And it's really put them in touch with Drogheda above them. So everybody was saying, and rightly so, that Drogheda were having a good season. Uh, but now Cork are only two points off them. And it's dragged Sligar overs right into that mix as well in terms of the bottom end, where they don't want to be. They've lost four of their last five, and they're on a dreadful run. Um, so, yeah, as I say, Cork are on a real good run of form, and, and they will put it up to Bowes on Monday night. Alan, come on to you. Declan here. Hiya Declan Very good thanks Very good Enjoyed a good game in Tala last night I have to say A fine Aaron Green brace Even though Rovers did finish with 10 men Again when Ronan Finn was uh, sent off Although unlike last week They could have no complaints About the decision that the referee made Last night I just want to talk to you briefly Al about Cork again uh, As you say Liam Buckley Is still in interim charge there Or whatever So the recruitment process Is continuing for the replacement Of Colin Healy Are you surprised that it hasn't been Done and dusted just yet? Yeah I am To be honest with you Declan Because um, such a huge club I'm sure there's lots of people in, in the position to obviously try and take over Cork City a massive club as you know but the longer this run continues with Liam and I know Liam said initially when he went in that he didn't want to take the job but I think that was probably down to the fact that he was paying respect because Colin was still very much in the job now I don't know if Liam's view has changed now that Colin is not there um, and they've won the three games you'd have to ask Liam himself but the longer that continues and the longer the good run continues I think they might want Liam to stay on but I think just because of the size and stature of that club, as I say, there'll be a lot of applicants, Declan, as you know, and uh, it's a huge job, it's a huge role, and it's a huge opportunity for somebody. So maybe they're just being patient and waiting for that right person, but at the moment, things are certainly going well for them on the pitch. Yeah, okay. Well, it's, uh, yeah, as I said, very exciting stuff, really interesting watching uh, how it's all unfolding. So um, the league delivering uh, at this stage. Okay, let's go across the water. We have to talk about the FA Cup. Everybody's, uh, I was talking to Ken earlier about it. Everybody's looking at the big derby, City taking on United, Wembley Stadium, FA Cup. Uh, City red hot favourites. Can United cause an upset? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's almost a throwback, Reggie. Three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon as well. Yeah. I'm hoping if I flick on BBC, I might see Des Lynham in the grandstand, lads, <laughs> there now and spend the morning with him. But um, I'm not sure if they'll stretch it that far. But the fact that it's on at three o'clock, I think, adds to it. The fact that it's a, a derby, the first time they've ever met in the cup final, that was a surprising stat I read during the week. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, that is the first time they've ever met so in the cup final, which is amazing stat. But... Um, they're rightly favourites, Man City. We all know how good they are. We all know the form that they're in, obviously chasing the treble as well. But I just think the fact that it is a derby and Man United are trying to obviously knock them off their perch in terms of not winning that treble. I think it'll be tied affair, Reggie. Um, I mentioned during the week that it wouldn't surprise me if it went to distance in terms of extra time and penalties, and it wouldn't. You, you would expect City to win, but I don't think it'll be the two or three trouncing that everybody is predicting. I think it'll be a tied affair, especially the fact that it is a final with, with closely matched uh, Derby I suppose so I do think Man City should win but I think it'll be a lot tighter than people are saying 
Mm, I think uh, I think it will too. I mean, it wouldn't be. I wouldn't be at all surprised if United somehow managed to uh, get the result because I think they'll come out all guns blazing. They have nothing to lose. The pressure's all on City. They probably have their eyes on you know different things, and uh, you'd have to say, I, I just I just fancy United for some reason. Yeah, and you'd expect, obviously, with the team selection, it'll be interesting to see what Ten Hag does because we all know how good City are. And I suppose the plan that he will come up with to try and counteract just the threats that they have. And I know they have a lot of threats all over the pitch, but certainly the likes of De Bruyne, how will they handle him? Will he add an extra player into midfield, the likes of a Fred or someone with a defensive kind of instinct to try and handle the likes of De Bruyne? Because I think if they try and take them on in a match, in a football match, I think they'll get exposed because of the quality Man City have. But I think if they're cute in terms of the setup um, and try and pack that and condense that midfield area, I suppose the distances between the midfield and the defence to close the spaces where obviously the likes of uh, De Bruyne tries to operate, I think that will give them a good chance. And of course, if Rash returns up on the counter-attack, he can cause City problems as well. So I think it will be tight. Obviously, Man City are favourites, as we all know. But I would like to see some sort of a game, and I think we will see it. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend.